Hello there, and welcome to Gooner U. My name is Dove, and my friend Keith is here to bring me up to speed on everything I don't know about soccer and Arsenal. This week featured UEFA Europa League match number 5 at PSV Eindhoven and Premier League match number 12 versus Nottingham Forest's Merry Men. Hey, Keith. Good evening, and happy Halloween. <laughs> happy Halloween. We are, we are recording on October 31st, that is right. This went out trick-or-treating for a couple hours with my son. Uh, did you do anything fun for Halloween? Uh, I did not, as it turns out. It was a it was a quiet one. I mean, frankly, as an as an Arsenal fan, one of the scariest things out there is uh, a game you should win. But uh, well, as we'll talk about, that's uh, that turned out to not be so bad this time. Well, yeah, that was uh, <laughs> well, it was yeah, it was the the game they should have won last week. That was, I guess, preparing them for Halloween, getting them in the mindset. The, the fear was real. <laughs> so. Um, just uh, to begin with, a little bit of follow-up from last week. Uh, we were discussing the rain, and I said that PSV's stadium had a similar design to Emirates, but I meant Southampton Stadium because we hadn't seen PSV's stadium yet. So that was uh, wrong and setting the record straight. Uh, let's get into the supremely disappointing match uh, at PSV Eindhoven from uh, Thursday, October 27th. This was Europa League match number five. We lost 2-0. It was very, very disappointing, <laughs> to say it, the least. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a game, I think it's fair to say, I think it's a game that they, uh, they've had coming for, for a little while. <laughs> Yeah, it caught up with them. Yeah, it, they did not deserve to win that game at all. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's it is fair to point out. I mean, as we talked about, PSV is a a pretty good team. Uh, that you know they're a they're a solid team in the Dutch league, which is not a bad league. It's a top heavy one. Uh, but but to, for the kind mm -hmm. of consistent success they've had, this was always going to be the toughest game in in the group stage uh, for this year. But. Uh, you know, the fact that we got the, the results in the reverse fixture, the fact that we beat them in London, you know, made this, and, and the way we've won every other game makes this thing a little bit less, um, especially given what we have coming up for, for Europa League. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's crazy. They could have so easily lost by even more goals if it weren't for those couple of VAR reversals early on. Um, it was, uh, it was almost, it could have easily been four nil. It was, it was a very embarrassing performance from them. Yeah. And, and both, and we should say both of those goal reversals were, uh, were, were legitimate. Those players were offside. Yep. Yep. Uh, but yep. yeah, you're, it, it's, it's, it's one thing if it, in a tight game, you get one of those calls, you sort of, you could take a moment to breathe and say, okay, we could dodge the bullet there, but to do it twice was, was not a good sign. And it was, it was a right. PSV absolutely deserved it. I think the, the quote from Arteta afterwards was that they were, quote, extremely poor, which is about right. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny with those goal reversals, though. It's like, you know, seeing it from their point of view, it's like it's frustrating sometimes. And they so tell, maybe you can tell me a little bit about this. They had mentioned some kind of automated offsides calling, and they had said that it's going to be in use for the World Cup, where it's not even that there's a video assisted referee. It's like, there's no human in the loop where it's like the, the computer alone will say offsides or not offsides unprompted or something. Can you tell me something about that? I'll be honest. I, I don't, I know there's been some talk about the technology and you know, they have some of it. Uh, it's called uh, 
for the goal line. It's called Hawkeye. It's actually the same technology that right. Tennessee uses. And, but that's for determining balls going in or out of, of the goal right. that across the goal line. I, I have not heard about it relative to offside calls. Um, okay. That that strikes me as one of those I'd ha- that's one I'd have to really look up and dig into because it strikes me as one of those things where you almost want the human there to catch the weird things that the computer is going to misread. Um, right. Now, now we said that, you know, what they usually do for VAR with offsides, and you'll see it a lot in the Premier League, is they, they talk about drawing lines. And so they'll draw lines on the field mm-hmm. supposedly where the ball is, where the, the, the leading player is, or the last defender. So And once they draw the lines, you, you go with what the lines say. If the line says he's offside, then he's well, offside. Right. And that's- yeah, and I guess looking at, at those calls, what, what struck me is it's like it was like the guy's like shoulder or something. It was like it wasn't like a clear offsides where let's say that there was no VAR drawing lines. I don't think most refs probably would have called offsides in either of those cases, you know, so it worked in our favor, obviously, but. Yeah, but there's there's really two two ways to look at that. One, I I think is in agreement with you, which is that you know offsides in a lot of ways is is a lot of times about the the spirit of the rule versus the letter, which we've talked about a little bit. I think with, with soccer, the idea yeah. is you know did he really gain an advantage? And under the old system, you could have referees or assistant referees saying, "Yeah, he didn't." Um, one of the things you see nowadays too is they've they've instructed the linesmen. The only time they'll raise the flag is for a clear offside. Because once they raise the flag, the referee is supposed to blow his whistle and say it's offside. So if the play is close, they'll usually let it play on. And and if it ends in a goal, the idea is we can always go back and look at it later. I have problems with that, but I I get where it's coming from. The other way I think to look at that is, you know, contrary sort of what you're saying is, you know the the offside rule is written where it's it's about any part of a player's body that could score a goal. So if your hand is stretched forward, that won't count. But you can absolutely hit the right. ball over your shoulder or a knee, and, right. and I think it's fair to say that that's the rule. You cross the line; it's not a right. goal or it's not a play. So I, I can go either way on that. Well, yeah, I think what what makes what doesn't make sense about the way that the rule is being applied and maybe it is consistent with the letter of the rule but i think where maybe from my point of view the rule should be changed is when you're talking about someone who is already in position waiting to receive the ball ahead of the last defender that's clearly wrong and it puts the other team at an unfair disadvantage in these types of plays, though, and I think this is most of the offsides that I've seen called in, in the season that we've been following on, on the show, um, what what seems to be the case is most of the time you'll just have the whole side, like all of the offensive team, all of the defensive team, they're all moving, and you just have one guy who's moving a little bit faster, and he ran faster. It's not like he was planted and waiting, right? Like he outmaneuvered the other team and got into a better position. And in this case, it's not even like he got into a better position to stay there. Like he was just running with the other players on either side of him. It's, it seemed like kind of like nitpicky, I guess is, is how I would characterize it. Well, really that's what you're, the situation you're describing there is, is really what the rule is meant to prevent. I mean, we can always picture the, the cherry picking, the guy who sits behind the defenders and just sort of waits for the ball to come to him. Yeah. But in a lot of times that's, that's what it really looks like 
you, you, that's not what you see in, in the flow of the game. What you'll see is players making runs, and you'll see them trying to time those runs so that where they are relative to the defenders. You'll also see it in the defenders, they call it stepping up. Um, and there was an instance, I, I want to say, I think it was in this game as well, where one of the defenders was actually slow in stepping up, actually played one of their men offside, or played onside, excuse me, and allowed and allowed them to, I don't remember if they scored a goal in that sequence, but certainly allowed them to get a good shot opportunity off. So that part of that's the, the game within the game. Uh, yeah, hmm. I mean, what is, how do you write a rule that talks about, you know, how do you write a rule that differentiates between those two situations you're talking about? But the rule is you cannot be beyond the, the next to last defender. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, you know, wh- how do we judge when that happens? You know, if he if he's a step ahead of him because they're both running there and he's faster, it, you know, it's remember it's always when the pass is played. So. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So eh, interesting. It's uh. So uh, we'll we'll have to try and do some follow up for next week to learn more about the automated uh, offsides calls because that is something that I'm pretty sure they said was going to be used for the World Cup. So it's something that is in our near future. So. Uh, we'll, we'll actually have to talk as it gets closer about uh, which World Cup games we'll, we'll each be watching. But uh, <laughs> but anyways, um, so I don't know how closely you were watching this game. I know with the Europa League matches, because they're in the middle of the week, it, it can be tough sometimes. But did you catch toward the very end of the first half when the lights started getting brighter and darker and they were, they were clearly beginning the light sequence for their halftime show, even though the half wasn't fully over yet? Did you see that? I didn't quite catch that. What I did see, which was kind of interesting, and I, it took me a while to, to find it, which I'll explain in a little bit, but at about 25 minutes, they the PSV supporters gave a, a, a round of applause, which, you know, is, is the kind of thing you'll typically do in tribute to something um, you probably would have seen, I guess, about a month ago now, a little more than that. Uh, they, uh, all around the Premier League in the 70th minute, uh, fans and the stadiums gave it, during the whole minute, they gave an ovation. In that case, was in honor of the queen, uh, who had been on the throne oh, okay. for seventy years. And this they did right. at twenty-five minutes. And so this is this is from the Guardian's uh, live updates uh, from from you know last Thursday. Uh, it says there is a warm round of applause from the PSV supporters in memory of one of their number who died in a road accident yesterday, aged just twenty-five. Outside the stadium, fireworks are set off in oh. his memory. I don't know anything okay. about lights lights there. It's possible someone just flipped the switch early. Um, yeah, but w- I think w- that's w- all it was because they literally blew the halftime whistle. It was like 10 or 15 seconds later. Okay, yeah, that that so. could be one. So, I, yeah, But yeah. The, the weird one to me, they're doing the applause, and I, I, could, I couldn't really listen to the commentary at that point. And there was a, I saw there was a banner, but it was, of course, it was in Dutch, so I didn't yeah. know what it said. But then the fireworks, <laughs> Not the helpful. fireworks. <laughs> yeah, the fireworks going on outside the stadium was really odd, and I, I just didn't pick up if the commentators mentioned anything about it. Um, so I, Yeah, you know, me, yeah. now that you mention it, I, they did say something about a car crash. I, I didn't know what they were referring to at the time, but they said something about it. That's what the fireworks were for also, because that was also uh, unusual. Apparently, I mean, they were from outside the stadium, which you know, suggests it's not the club doing it. it, it you know, and... and so the reason I had trouble finding this was because apparently the previous week when when PSV was was at Arsenal, apparently their fans caused quite a ruckus, like to the point where they've been fined and sanctioned by by UEFA, uh, tearing seats out of the stadium, setting off flares and fireworks. Uh, they they've gotten a little bit of trouble Ooh. for that. 
So, yeah, so every time I looked up PSV fireworks, those Arsenal fireworks, oh. those are the stories I kept getting, which was which was kind of an interesting right. uh, uh, thing to, <laughs> to, to see. Yeah, they eclipsed what you were actually looking for, right? Yeah, I, and I was also interesting. I, I was talking to a, one of the guys at the, the bar about it, and he showed me some video, I guess some fans of uh, Feyenoord, another Dutch team, was playing in Austria in another European game, and there was and he had video of it. Apparently, they tore up the bathrooms, graffitied all over, smashed the toilets and the urinals. Like it was a Ugh. it was a mess. It was really got oh, which man. is fascinating because apparently Dutch club fans have this reputation of being troublesome like this. But if you if you look at, at national tournaments, everyone talks about how much they love the Dutch fans. You know, they they all show up wearing orange. They're all friendly, and it's just it's that's just very strange to me. All of it. Uh, yeah. don't, don't to make of it. <laughs> Maybe you'll remember better than I am, but in Spider-Man Far From Home, when the battle with Mysterio is done and Spider-Man wakes up on a, I believe it's a Dutch train, there's a whole bunch of crazy soccer fans wearing all kinds of crazy wigs and makeup and stuff, and he it, it wakes up in a jail with them or something, right? <laughs> Am I remembering that right? Oh, that, ooh, I don't remember. I don't remember that part. I mean, some of that could just be... Some of that could just be, gen, you know, generic Americans. Talk, like, I don't, that scene doesn't stand out to me, so it suggests there's not something particularly, like, <laughs> they, they, they're generic soccer fans and are there for the humor of, you know, being in a bar, you know, yeah, being in a prison with them. I I feel that it was in, maybe, yeah, I think they were Dutch. I think it was in the Netherlands. Could be. I, I, I don't I, know. We'll, we'll have to follow up on that, too, for next week. Yeah, I think yeah note, to, note to self, rewatch <laughs> Spider-Man. Okay. <laughs> right. I've got a five-year-old, so I may have seen that one a couple more times than you. <laughs> That's probably fair. I was going to say, of all the things we should look up, I suppose I'll look up offside. You can watch Spider-Man. <laughs> sounds fair. <laughs> so my my last question that came out of this match was they kept on talking about how Arsenal has already qualified for the knockout round. and And I know what that is because we've been talking about that and how they could have clinched the knockout round had they beaten PSV this week, which they didn't, but they said that they already qualified for it. So I didn't know what that meant. What does qualification refer to compared to actually having it clinched? What does that get them? So, yeah, so it, it, some of that's just, I think the, the language getting a bit mixed up. So Arsenal coming into the game had qualified for, at least the knockout round. So they, now that the group stage will be over, starting in the new year in February, you'll start to Europa League will turn into a, a tournament where you'll play. Uh, you'll be drawn against one team. You'll play two games against them, and your aggregate score, the total goals, will determine who moves on. And it'll be just be a not a bra- quite a bracket, uh, but it'll be like a bracketed tournament where you know everyone who wins advances until you're left with two teams who play mm-hmm. the final. The difference is with the Europa League, and this is new from last year, so I'm still not 100% sure how it works. Hmm. Um, okay. Yeah, uh, there are actually, there are actually, there are five rounds to the knockout round. Uh, to win the group, which is what we would have done if we had beaten PSV, we get a bye into the round of 16. If the okay. runners up, the runners up will actually play in the first knockout round and the teams they will play are 
uh, the eight teams uh, who are going to drop out of the Champions League. So the Champions League also has a group stage. And we've talked about the Champions oh. League being the big tournament. They, the, yeah. the teams that finish in third in those groups will drop down to the Europa League and they'll play the runners-up. So there's a, a real big benefit to us winning the group and, and getting, out, right. getting out of there and avoiding. At, at this point, I mean, there's, there's only two teams that have qualified or that have been guaranteed that third place spot because the Champions League is on the same schedule we are. One of those teams is Barcelona. Now, you know, Barcelona is one of the biggest teams in the world. They've knocked us out of the Champions League many times, including that one final that we had, you know, back in 2006. This is not a good Barcelona team. In fact, it's quite a quite a very bad Barcelona team, certainly by their standards. Okay. I still don't want anything to do with them if we can avoid it. Speaking of things that scare me, <laughs> right? Sure. I mean, I mean, really, as an Arsenal fan, for <laughs> for years, the last few years we were in the Champions League, we'd get to the round of sixteen and always draw either Barcelona or Bayern Munich, and then just get thumped by them. And so my my true Halloween nightmare is that Bayern Munich is going to have to forfeit a game, forfeit points, finish third <laughs> in their group, and get drawn against us because, of course, they are. But that's probably not going to happen. Um, right. But what it really means, and here's the big advantage of it, is if you're in the knockout round, your, your games will be in February. Uh, they're scheduled right now for February 16th and the 23rd. If you advance to the round of 16, your next game in the Europa League will be March 9th. So you get another basically two midweeks off, which given how tight this congested the schedule is going to be uh, after the World Cup. And as you've seen already, we've been going Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday. Given how congested it's going to be after the World Cup, that's that's a really nice thing to have. So, you know, we really want to win the group. To win the group, the only thing we have to do is get a point against Zurich on Thursday. So at least a draw. At least a draw. Now, remember, Zurich is a team that we beat, you know, we beat pretty handily in Switzerland. Oh, yeah. They're they're not good, and we're playing at home. We should win this game fairly easily. Now, of course should and will but (laughs) zurich is finishing last in the group or likely to finish last in the group um last check they are 10th in the swiss super league which there are only uh 10 teams in the swiss super league so they are not they are not good and we should beating them at home should not be a problem for us um okay yeah, sounds good. Yeah, hopefully. Right. I, You know, it's one of those you feel kind of nervous about it. On the other hand, and PSV has to go to Voodoo. They have to go to up, up to Norway, um, mm-hmm. you know, which, as we saw, is not an easy trip to make. So Right. It was definitely a lot harder than when we played them at home. So, yeah, yeah. there's a there is a there is a very clear way that this goes horribly wrong and we wind up finishing in second. That scenario was still highly unlikely. Um, actually, sure. I should say that I, actually, I look, I'm looking at the standings. Actually, a draw wouldn't guarantee us anything. I think we have to win, or if if PSV drops any points to to Budu, I, I, I'm not I'm not really worried about it. All things considered, it, it's one of those things that's going to make it looks kind of nervy. But once you go through it, nah, we should we should be mm-hmm. should be of course. All right, yeah, so. 
Good. No, it's, uh, so I, I, I understand better what's at stake with the uh, with the Zurich match coming up this next week. So that's good. Um, so meanwhile, let's uh, let's change gears to the delightful game versus Nottingham Forest, uh, whose men are no longer as merry as they were ninety minutes earlier. Um, yeah. It was <laughs> it was Arsenal in top form. I mean. They were moving the ball effortlessly, like I remember them doing at the beginning of the season. It's they they got their mojo back, and hopefully, like you were predicting, hopefully this leads to them getting morale, getting confidence back, and it has a carryover effect into their matches coming up. I'm I'm hoping that they bounce back after this from uh, <laughs> the nadir of their season. Uh, versus PSV, but um, which I do consider to be a more crushing defeat than versus Manchester United. <laughs> uh, well, but, I mean, I think it was a more deserved defeat. In some ways, the United defeat right. is more frustrating. The fun part about this, by the way, is it is late October. It's it, Tomorrow is November. And what we're doing is drawing comparisons between the two games in which Arsenal has lost. You have come on board. <laughs> yeah. And so, I, there, you know, there's a part of me that's like, really, we're debating the merits of the two games we <laughs> lost. You know, let's throw Southampton a disappointing drawing. Otherwise, that that's it in terms of points we've lost. Anyway. Um, right, no, that's true. Yeah. So th- this is what they historically will call a, a, a get-right game. At least you'll hear that in American okay. sports. And it's, it's a chance against a team that's frankly not very good. Uh, Forest mm-hmm. is bottom of the table. Right. They were not very impressive on Sunday at all. No. Um, no. Yeah, and so it's an opportunity for you to, as they say, get right, to, to get back into your, your sets and your formation, to play a team at home. And, you know, that was the nice thing. We've been on the road for the last few games. So to, to come home and just a chance to sort of run through everything and, and feel good about the way you played to, to get the kind of result you want and, you know we're 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 ahead of Manchester City on points, and we're not in we're within striking distance of them in terms of goal difference. Again, we're twelve games into a a thirty eight game season, so let's not get ahead too ahead of ourselves. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but also you you know we are in a place where that that's the kind of result that that's what you really need to do against a team that's that poor. You you know the more English style you say you uh you put them to the sword. You know, they we, yeah. we stepped on them and we finished, and that's and it's delightful when that sort of thing happens. Uh, particularly the way it sort of played out. The other thing I, I think tied to some of what you're talking about there in terms of the knock-on effects, and you saw a little bit of this in the Amazon documentary. They had a tendency to spiral a little bit last year. That when they lost a game. Well, then they lose another or, the, or two more, and it took them a little while mm-hmm. to sort of get their heads back in. Here, they've lost two games, and then they've immediately followed it up with two really strong performances. And that's a overall, that's just a good yeah. sign for the overall development of the club and says a lot about where they are mentally, as well as, of course, you know, right on, on the score sheet. So, yeah, no, that's true. And, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, oh, the, the, Goals they scored. I mean, oh, the the one goal where uh, I think it was Martinelli had an early pass. I think it was him where it was just this beautiful pass. It just 
arced through the air and landed directly at the feet of the guy who he was passing it to. I don't remember the the, the player he was passing to, who then passed it to someone else. It was just they're, they're just moving the ball effortlessly. I don't remember how many times I was seeing them on the field passing it back and forth all these one-timer passes you just like have one person who kicks in and it just like bounces like a like a pachinko ball or like a bumper pool ball or something just a pinball just like bouncing around from player to player and there it was yeah it was, it was a joy to watch it was like this is this is how they should be so i want to see them every game regardless of how strong the other team is it's like a lot of what they were doing it was it was all them like they they showed us again what what they're capable of Right. And, and, and a lot of that, I think, too, is just the, there's a confidence, but also some of that's the skill level. I mean, you, you watch it on TV and you watch from a distance, and it's sometimes hard to really realize just how hard it is to do what they do and to do it consistently. Mm-hmm. And of course, that's, that's why they're professionals who make lots of money and you and I watch these games <laughs> on our couches in a couch. I, right. That's, you know, and yeah, sometimes to watch that and to watch them drop passes, you know, on a dime or, you know, to see Odegaard make some of the passes or Xhaka make some of the passes he makes there. Some ways the passes are sometimes more, even more impressive than the goals. Although I have to say the goals, yeah. uh, the goals on Sunday were pretty good, <laughs> were pretty good ones. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I mean, there, there's another pass. I remember the, the ball went to one Arsenal player who spread his legs apart and let it pass through him behind him to the player who he knew was there. And he let that other player take. It's just things like, it seems like magic. How, how aware they are of where everyone else is on the field. It, it just blew my mind. Multiple. Yeah. I mean that, that play right there is called the dummy. So you'll see it. He dummies the guy that like uses it as a verb. The idea is the defender looks and says, Oh, he's about to receive the pass. And then suddenly yeah. he's standing there, but the ball keeps going, but the defender has already been drawn towards him and it, it opens up space. And you're right. That that's the kind of thing that comes from endless repetition and training and practice over and over again. And it's the kind of thing you're really going to see at, at this kind of high club level, uh, at, as opposed to, you know, we're we're a couple weeks out from the World Cup now. You know, on some level, the World Cup is is a wonderful thing, and it's a, it's a load of fun. But these are guys who have been thrown together. They have a, a couple right. at most a couple weeks of practice. You just aren't going to yeah. see that same kind of thing because it requires that knowledge of each other, which they're just not going to get. Yeah, there's not going to be that level of cohesion. Yeah. So what do you make of Jesus not scoring any goals this game? Or, or in fact, I think in a while, he's, he's had a bit of a drought. A lot of other players uh, had the opportunity to, to, to have some remarkable scores this, uh, this game. Yeah, I mean, coming in, that was one of the stories coming in, was the, the drought for not only Jesus, but also Martinelli, the two Brazilians, and just how they weren't really scoring goals, which on the one hand, we were surviving because Granite Xhaka was was scoring, Bukayo Saka was scoring. So we had guys who were contributing goals. But I mean, they're strikers. Their job is to score yeah. goals. That's what they're there for. And so, right. you know, to, for Martinelli to score within the first few minutes, again, was a big one. <laughs> I mean, obviously, he's not knocking in the goals. But, you know, hopefully one of the things we start to get out of this is that you we the more you watch, the more you learn to judge a performance by more than just the stat line. So uh, if I'd like, I'm actually going to turn that question on to you about, about Jesus. What did you think about the way he played, and, accepting the fact that he, of course, doesn't score? Well, yeah, I mean, it's 
I didn't get the same feeling watching him as I have other games where he has been more dominant, been in the right place more often. Uh, he wasn't as much of a time. Um, he just didn't give himself that many opportunities to score from what I could say. Okay. I mean, because I would have said, and and this is some of the commentary I think said this as well. I thought he had an excellent game. Yeah. You know, we, we we ask you know, Arteta asks a striker to do a lot of different things, and in, in terms of mm. how he plays the system. In fact, you even saw late in the game. At, I mean, at this point when it was you know four or five nil, Jesus is actually dropping back in the midfield. He's way behind where you would expect a striker to be because he's being mm. used differently there. And and he's a guy. We've talked about this as well. He does so much for the front line in terms of the way he runs, the the, the passes he plays, and sometimes the ones he doesn't play. I mean, they they were clearly trying to find him for a goal when it was when it, once they hit five yeah. nil to see if he could get that that get on the score sheet. <laughs> right. But you know, he also and well, he, he also he did get in the goal at one point. But yes, uh, and a couple of those <laughs> you're just you're just right. There's one you're just an inch off. At he he, he assisted. He had two assists. You know, two great passes. Uh, a couple of other good plays as well. I thought he had an excellent game. And with a guy like him, the goals will come. The goals will come. Yeah. You know, you, but you want to see the guy, you want to see the guy playing well. And then you also do want to see that bit there where his teammates are feeding him. They're trying to get him that goal. Because sure. it really says about what they think about him. And, and it says a lot about mm-hmm. where the club is overall, the kind of closeness they ha- the players have. And a lot of that, of course, is driven by the fact that we're winning all the time. But still, you, you like to see that. Sure. And did you learn more after the game about how Saka is doing? Because we had talked uh, last week about a player on the other team who had to be subbed out very early on, like Saka was in this game. Is he okay? Do we know if he's expected to return this week? Uh, So the last I'd heard, uh, the last thing I read uh, was officially from yesterday. So after the game, uh, you know, Arteta's only comment was that he's hopeful that it's only a knock, that it's only a minor injury. I mean, he has fouled a lot, and it it is yeah. really frustrating to watch sometimes because you'll see, especially given who he is, you know, he's not just Bukayo Saka plays for Arsenal. He's you know, penciled in England starter Bukayo Saka. He is a, he's a very good yeah. player for the national team, and we know full well that there are plenty of national team players, Harry Kane most famously, who get the benefit of the yeah. doubt on call sometimes too much, and he is fouled constantly. Never seems to get that same. Uh, kind of, kind of, uh, never seems to get that same treatment. Uh, and you even right. saw it last week; he got booked for a dive. Like what? what? Right. Um, right. So that's kind of a frustrating thing. Uh, we'll see. Arteta says he's hopeful. Uh, his sense was, you know, asked about his availability for the World Cup, and he said, "Hopefully not." Uh, where's the quote here? Uh, it was a bad kick. He was limping, but I don't see it further than that. Both foot and ankle, he got kicked a few times. Okay. That's part of what was troubling me was he did get knocked a couple times. He went down the one time and played a little bit longer. Then he got knocked down a second time, and that's what the one that he didn't come back from. So, And that second one, though, looked a bit like, honestly, from the replay, and again, I was in the in the bar, so the, the we didn't get a lot of the commentary. That one looked a bit like almost like he rolled his ankle. Now, some of that was the tackle, but it's sort of mm. like he got bent a little bit. And sometimes that's just one where it hurts and it's just hard to walk off, but you give him a few days and he ends up being being well enough. Mm. Uh, you know, given the games we have coming up, 
I, I, again, you have to trust the medical team because they're the ones who are with him every day and see him all the time. I wouldn't, I would not be surprised if he isn't even on the bench for Zurich on Thursday, especially given what we have coming on, on Sunday, our Premier League game on the weekend. So right, yeah. My expect- he hasn't yeah. been starting in a lot of the Europa League matches, anyways. So yeah, and and part of that is just the Europa League is a you know especially the opposition we're facing hasn't been as good you know so hopefully hopefully honestly I I kind of hope he doesn't ha- play or need to play in those Europa League games and that he's ready and fresh for for Sunday. Yeah, uh, agreed. So. uh any other uh, questions or uh, I don't, I will, I don't have any questions. Do you have any other uh, commentary on this uh, Nottingham forest match? Um, just a, just a quick one only cause I, I heard this this morning or a little earlier today. So with the world cup break coming up, uh, Arsenal has just played their last premier league home game until boxing day which obviously mm, for our American wow. audience, Boxing Day is the day after Christmas, the 20, December 26th, yeah. which is when the Premier League will come back after the World Cup, which is just kind of strange. It's just a strange thing to say out loud. They will not play a Premier League home game for two months now. Right. Uh, wow. Which, again, is kind of... But again, the World Cup is there. This is weird, and it's a very strange thing to work around. But yeah, they have only... We only have four more, four games left until the World Cup break and only two in the Premier League and both the Premier League games are on the road. Now, both of the the the, ga- the non-Premier League games, we have a Europa League and then we also have the, the League Cup. Both of those are at home, but they're midweek and they're, they're it's just not the same. The Premier League games are, are different. Uh, so yeah. it's just kind of a weird thing. Uh, just a weird thing. Now, so I'm, I'm trying to learn what all the different cups are, and we can address them as they come up. But do you want to tell me what the League Cup is? Sure. The League Cup is the second uh, knockout cup competition within England. The big one, which we're not going to play, Arsenal isn't going to play at all until January, typically the first weekend of January, uh, is the FA Cup. And that's the oldest, right. it's the, the most traditional one. Um, you know, it, it's it's a massive knockout tournament, which effectively involves every single club in England, which is, is several hundred teams wind up in this huh. tournament. It's 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 a big one. The League Cup yeah. is a much smaller tournament. It only contains the top uh, the teams in the top four divisions in what what is called the football. Well, there's the Premier League, and then the three levels beneath it, the Championship, League One, and League Two, are called the Football League because that's the group that runs them. So it's everyone in those top four leagues is a, is a part of the tournament. Um, in Because of the way they're done, entrances to the tournament are staggered. So they've been playing the FA Cup since, uh, since the summer, getting qu- teams to qualify in. Teams in the Premier League will play their first game in January, in the third round. Hmm. With the League Cup, it's the same thing. Most of the Premier League teams come in in the second round. The Premier League teams that are playing in Europe, like us, don't come into the third round. So we actually, they've already had the second round uh, a few weeks ago. Actually, maybe even further back than that. I'm, I'm trying to remember. And then we're set up for next Wednesday. I think it's Wednesday. Sometime in the middle of next week, we're going to play 
Brighton in the third round of the cup. And I believe, and I I have to look something to confirm, there are, there's the third round, fourth round. I think the fifth round is officially the quarterfinals. uh, And the, um, then the semifinals and then, uh, Blank out and then and then the final. Uh but, but okay. um that's the FA Cup. I'm now look I'm now looking this up because now it's gonna drive me nuts. Uh but yeah, the, the <laughs> FA the FA Cup will have uh we'll come in in the third round, there's a fourth round, and then the fifth round is the round of sixteen, quarterfinals, semifinal, and then the final, and then ba 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 where is it? The League Cup is um second, third Third round, round of 16, quarterfinal, semis, final. Yep. So when you when we say a League Cup game, what we're saying is that game, do, does it or does it not count for the, the Premier League table? Like, does it count toward their standings or is it just for the purpose of that cup? It is just for the purpose of the cup. Same for the FA Cup. The, turn, the, okay. the competition's are separated from one another so we hmm. were in this case it's it's they're both a random draws so for the league cup we've been drawn against brighton and we can talk about this a little bit more next week as we head into this game we've been drawn okay. against brighton who's in the premier league but there are several teams we could have been drawn against who are in in second third or even the fourth division as well so it just so happens right. we're playing a premier league team and the further you go in these tournaments the lower teams tend to get knocked are the ones getting knocked out. And so you're much more likely to draw premier league opposition as you go forward. I haven't sure. seen yet when the draw date is for the FA cup third round. Um, but well, let's see there. The second round is not going to be played until, Oh geez. The league, the FA cup second round is not even going to be played until actually the first round isn't, is this weekend. Um, hmm. And so the, all the, they've had all the qualifying rounds, but the first round is going to be this weekend. And then I guess uh, thanks, the weekend after Thanksgiving is the quote-unquote second round. And pro- it's sometime after that, probably on Sunday or Monday, they'll drew the draw for the third round, which will be in January. And all this is taking place during the World Cup. This is, gonna be, this is, all, this is all very weird. Uh, but it, yeah, <laughs> if, I, I'm yeah. still not sure that made sense to me. I hope it made sense to you. I think so. I think so. And yeah, like you said, we'll we'll cover it a little bit more as it gets closer. So um, I have a couple small uh, questions that ha- that I've thought of the last couple of weeks that we didn't have time to get to because there was a lot going on during the week's matches. The first question. So I was watching the PSV match in Paramount Plus in their app. And so they have all of the UEFA uh, action there. What happened? What happened? That was actually very frustrating. Uh, it was another like kind of accidental self spoilage spoiler. So I don't know. I, I spoiled myself <laughs> accidentally a little bit within the match. What happened was I started watching it, and I saw that the the total runtime of the match was closer to three hours, whereas typically these things run closer to two hours. Right? It's like an hour and fifty minutes or something. It's the ninety minutes of play plus however much stoppage time and maybe a halftime show or whatever. Um, but it was closer to three hours, and that was because they had what? What was it called? It was called the Golazes oh, show. Golazo, Golazo, Golazo. Yeah, so it was the Golazo show, which I guess was like around forty forty five minutes. That was at the beginning, and I was watching it a little bit. Um, 
And so, uh, and I'll get back to that in a minute because it pertains to my question. But so I had started watching the the match that had the Galasso show at the beginning of it. And then I stopped watching. I started watching on a different device. I had moved from the train to my Apple TV. So I was watching on my iPad. I started watching on my Apple TV. The Apple TV saw, oh, okay, you're like 50 minutes in, like five zero minutes in or so, because I skipped past the rest of a Golasso show and started watching the first, I don't know, 10, 11 minutes of the match before I lost signal on the train and had, had to quit. And I get home and it sees, okay, you're 50 minutes in. It sh- it started streaming <laughs> the match at that point without the Golasso show in the in the beginning. So I saw the score as of, I don't know, it was like, 40 45 minutes of gameplay or something i saw that we were down like one nil at some point um so that was frustrating i don't know why that was tacked on to the beginning i don't think it should have been that's kind of weird that it was but uh so meanwhile i did watch some of the Golasso show and i also started noticing this in the list of uh, games. They have it broken down by the Champions League, the Europa League, and then Golasso and the Paramount Plus app were talking about the Europa Conference League. What is the Europa Conference League? Is that the next tier down? You have Champions League at the top and then Europa and then the Europa Conference League, or is it something else altogether? Yep. No, you nailed it. It's it's a third tier competition. I think we talked about the little bit this a little bit about this last week with um in terms of where the different English teams go. The top four go to the yeah. Champions League, the next two generally go to the Europa League and then the conference league. Uh the conference league is actually brand new as of last year. It was the first time they ever held oh, okay. th- this tournament. So I mean it, the the real cynical answer is it's just an opp- another opportunity for UEFA to run a tournament that makes them money. Uh, but then again, yeah. isn't that what all of this is really for? So who cares? Uh, yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's. Uh, hopefully, it's a tournament Arsenal never finds themselves anywhere near. So, <laughs> I, so I admit I I don't know a whole lot about it. Sure. Uh, other than it exists. Okay. And I'm glad we're not in it. It is a step down from the Europa League. Uh, the winner of the Conference League does get. We talked last time, so the Europa League champion automatically qualifies for next year's Champions League. The winner of the Europa Conference League automatically qualifies for the Europa League the next year. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool. So, uh, good answer. And then my next question, this is one that I've had for a little bit longer. So, we talked about, uh, way, way back, we talked about transfer rules and transfer windows. And my question is, do the transfer rules, uh, my understanding was our discussion of the transfer rules pertain to the Premier League's transfer rules um, and possibly English transfer rules, even for leagues that are beneath the Premier League, like the championship. Um, but let's say that someone gets transferred into the team outside the transfer window. Let's say that it's in February after the January window is closed. Are they eligible to play in UEFA competition, even if they're not qualified to play in Premier League competition? Or perhaps does UEFA have its own separate rules and there's separate transfer windows that maybe are coincident with with the Premier League? Uh, How does that work? Oh, yeah. So the really – that's a – I see how you're asking that question. It's a bit complicated. So each country has its own transfer rules. 
the, okay. a lot of the European continents, continental countries actually have a longer transfer window than the Premier League. The Premier League, right before the pandemic, tried to shorten theirs. It used to, I mean, it, and it is now where the, the transfer window for the summer actually closes after the season has started. What the Premier League was mm-hmm. trying to do was actually close it when the season started. The idea being the season started, this is your roster. But right. they were several weeks ahead of everyone else. So if you're a Premier League team, you could sell a player to a club in continental Europe, but you couldn't bring anyone in. Hmm. Uh, now, as far as competitions at, at the UEFA level, UEFA can't really do anything, obviously, about individual countries' transfer rules. It tries to help maintain some semblance of order. Obviously, I'm sure it tries to encourage a certain amount of rationality within the, you know, and coordination amongst the leagues but you know if you're one of the big leagues like the premier league you have enough money you don't care what you says on that score mm-hmm. uh but before all of these tournaments begin that the champions league the europa league and really all of them the premier league the the all the cups you have to register your roster with the governing body the fa or, or uefa where you list here are all the players and they have limits. You can, you have to have a certain number of players, you know, three goalkeepers plus these, num- you know, different players in the, what they're called the outfield, which is everybody else. And if a player is not on that roster at that time, they cannot be used in that competition. Okay. And a lot of times, so you saw for the Europa League, our competition didn't really start. I think our first game wasn't until September. So we didn't have to actually give them a roster until September after the transfer window closed. So in a sense, we've already mm-hmm. made all of our movement before we had to lock that in. Now, one interesting thing, now that's the summer. You mentioned January. Yeah. The January window is actually consistent, uh, at least Europe-wide, I think even globally, because typically January is in the middle of the season. So that's a weirder one to to make a lot of moves in. And we can talk a little bit about how Arsenal might approach the January window once we get there. Uh, but in that January window, uh, in, you know, when it, it shuts on the 31st, and that's that's it. So hmm. what you'll probably see, what, you, what you'll also see with, with UEFA tournaments is players are what's called cup-tied. So that when you play for a team in that tournament – you cannot play in that tournament for any other team. Oh, okay. So so let's let's consider this. One thing that you might do as a bigger club is try to pull players out of a lower division or lower or lower leagues. For example, Arsenal was has been connected in the past to uh, one of one of PSV's players. His name was Cody Gakpo. We've been connected with him before. Yeah. Supposedly there's some interest in oh, him. Okay. I'm sure that came up in the broadcast at some point at least that he's a talented young player. The problem is right. it would not benefit us to acquire him at all because we could not use him in the Europa League. Mm-hmm. So at that point, if you're acquiring a player who's in that level, you're basically locking yourself into, we can only play him in England. And frankly, for a lot right. of reasons, which can get into another time, that would not be a good idea. <laughs> he is not ready mm-hmm. for that. So, you know, it, it does affect how you think about players. We could theoretically pull a player off of a, a bigger club. This is how we got Martin Odegaard. He was at Real Madrid, but he wasn't getting a lot of playing time. He was behind a lot of other players. And so he came to us. 
well, we were in the Europa League. Real Madrid was in the Champions League. So it didn't matter. He was fine. He played for us, and it was no big deal. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. So it does go yeah, – so it, it's really within competitions, or they call it cup-tied. Um, I think that rule also affects the the cup, the knockout cup, so the FA Cup and the League Cup, but don't quote me on that because I don't actually know that for sure. Um, but, mm-hmm. yeah, and that would obviously take place within England, uh, amongst English teams in particular. Yeah. Cool. All right. Good discussion. I think that about wraps it up for this week. Do you want to uh, let us know uh, what's on tap for this coming week? All right. Yeah. Two games this week. Once again, on Thursday, it is the final uh, Europa League group stage game against Zurich. As we've sort of pointed out, uh, this is at home. This is a game we should win. Uh, I I want to feel very confident about this. I feel very confident about this. You know, they, this is why they play the games, but we should win. Yeah. Uh, and that, of course, this is on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, one other thing to look out for on Monday, presumably, obviously going to be before we record, on Monday, November 7th, will be the draw for the knockout stages. Now, hopefully we beat Zurich, we win the group, and we don't have to worry about that one. We're not going to get drawn yeah. into our opponent until... Uh, until uh, February after they play that first round. But if we manage to drop points and get passed by PSV, well, then maybe we have to pay attention to that is, and those games would then be in February. But again, hopefully we're not dealing with February. We're dealing with March and, and we can go from there. Sure. The big one though, Sunday uh, at uh, 7 a.m. Eastern time, 6 a.m. My time. Uh, uh, Sunday at Chelsea, we go to this, go to Stamford bridge mm-hmm. for a London Derby. Um, Chelsea is a, a, definitely a more recent vintage of a rival for Arsenal. The two of them have competed for league titles in the recent past. Uh, Chelsea was the, the European champions. They won the champions league in 21. Uh, they are, they're pretty good. Although they haven't been quite as good this year. They, they fired their coach earlier this season. Hmm. Uh, they plucked their replacement. There's a guy named Graham Potter. They took him out of, uh, he was coaching Brighton. And then Chelsea just played Brighton uh, on Saturday and they were beaten 4-1. So I don't know what to make <laughs> of Chelsea. We've generally played well over the years in Stamford Bridge. So I feel pretty good about this one. Uh, but I would very much like to pound them uh, on on <laughs> Sunday. I will take a win any way we can get it, but I... It, they're a team that it's very enjoyable when we get a chance to actually really take it to them. So fingers crossed on that. But uh, yeah, Chelsea on Sunday is the big one and probably really the, the the last truly big game we have remaining before the World Cup. Right. And uh, where can we watch that Sunday game? I believe, I believe it's supposed to be on USA Network, I think. Again, I sort of show right. up to the bar and they just turn on the TV for me, but I believe that's on <laughs> USA Network. Um, check check NBC's listings; they'll tell you where all the games are supposed to be. Uh, yeah, and that's- I, I think I think if I recall, that is on USA Network. And unfortunately for me, what that means is when it's on USA Network, I can't watch it on Sunday. I have to wait until it's on Peacock the next morning, like twenty four hours later. So. That stinks, but yeah, that's that's where we are. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. On the other hand, we should point out you can actually watch more Premier League games in the United States than you can if you li- when you live in England because uh, of the way their TV rules uh, work. Which is, rights, yeah. Oof, yeah, it is fast. <laughs> it is a fascinating thing. 
fascinating and incredibly frustrating in so many ways for apparently no sport is immune. <laughs> nope. Nope. Not well, at all. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us at Gooner U. We are on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and some other places, and we appreciate you subscribing to our show and sharing it with friends. Again, my name is Dove, and you can find me on Twitter at Dove Frankel. With me, as always, is Keith, and you can find him in a pub watching Arsenal matches. Come on, you gunners.